Gary Renard Podcast, Episode 42. Welcome to the Gary Renard Podcast, your direct connection to Gary Renard, best-selling author of The Disappearance of the Universe, Your Immortal Reality, and the upcoming Love Has Forgotten No One. This is Gene Bogart, podcast producer and Gary's co-host. And as always, it is my, what do we say, it's my high honor and distinct pleasure, or is it distinct honor and high pleasure? No, I think it's the other way around. My high honor and distinct pleasure to introduce, ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show. Here he is, Gary Renard. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. Hey, Gary, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good, buddy. How you doing? Very, very good. We have Can a hear your voice. Well, you too. I know it's been a little while since we've chatted. There's there's a little noise on the line, so I, I don't know how it'll sound in our ultimate recording. This is not a live program, but uh, I'll clean it up as much as I can. If not, you're here, and that's what counts. But yeah, how things been going? I know we have a number of topics to go over today, and we're going to get to some questions for Gary in our episode here as well. So... uh Welcome to you, and I guess I want to start off with the one topic. We're about two weeks late as we record this, but we have for you, my friend, a... Well, i, I got to make one quick change here, so I'm ready. Wait a second. Uh, um, uh, that's what I'm looking for. Okay. We want to say a happy birthday to Gary Renard. There you go. Party horns and everything. Yeah, it was your birthday about two weeks ago, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I I turned the big six zero, oh. six, sixty years old, and uh, nobody believes it because they see me and I look forty and I love it. So it's like uh, I really, honestly believe this. When Arden and Persis started appearing to me eighteen years ago, I looked wow. older then than I do today. And, and, and eight, not, 18 years. Uh, yeah, you mentioned that to me just quickly before we went on, and I hadn't realized that. Yeah, when they first, because they were started visiting you a number of years before Disappearance of the Universe was published, you had been working with them for a number of years, so it's been 18 total now. Wow, that's amazing. Well, that's right, because people don't realize that it took 10 years from the time that they first appeared to me to the time that the book was actually ready to be published, and you can see that arc of time over over a nine year period, and of course a year after that, you know, to actually get it done. And it was like, whoa, you know, uh, that was a long period of time. That's a whole decade of my life, and I didn't know if the book would ever be published. I didn't have any way of knowing what was going to happen. So people, you know, they'll look back now and they'll say, well, you know, you wrote that book because you wanted the money or something. And they don't understand that I had no guarantee that that book would ever be published. Right. You know, so it was a labor of love. And, and, and so people will know it was actually kind of an unlikely candidate for publishing, not only because of the subject area, which was to some extent going to be considered controversial by many people, but the sheer length of it. Remember, Disappearance of the Universe is, what, over 400 pages long, which is most publishers say that's way too long. I'm not going to touch that. So you had a lot uh, going against it, and somehow it, it none of it became a problem at all. Yes, and this is where I have to credit uh, D. Patrick Miller, the original publisher mm -hmm. of the book, because I don't know if disappearance could have ever been published without him. Yeah. And so he he was a visionary in that sense. And uh, he really, you know, I think did a great service to the Course Miracles community by publishing the book and then eventually it sold well, so that's why it got picked up by A House, but I really have to credit Patrick for the whole thing. Mhm. Mm uh, Patrick, and, and you know, I've gotten to know him as well and done a few different things with him over time. He's a great guy. Well, I, I just spoke to him recently, in fact. So a nice shout-out to our buddy D-Pat, D-Patrick Miller. Um, but, yeah, you guys have been great friends. and that really, Now, you were actually directly guided to seek him out, right, by Arten and Persa. Isn't that the story? That's true. Because you uh, talk about that I in, in not, the book. That's true. I did not know during that nine, ten-year period uh, what was going to happen with the book. Mm -hmm. But... When I asked them specifically, what should I do with this? 
that's when they told me to go to Patrick. Ah. And I would not have known that. And I was totally naive. I mean, I didn't know that I didn't have a sucker's chance in hell of finding a publisher to do this book. So it was like, uh, you know, it was a godsend for them to send me to this guy because I didn't know what to do. And uh, it it worked out perfectly because of their guidance, but they are the Holy Spirit to me. You know, people, you know, they'll think of art in person uh, sometimes as being specific people, but they're not. Uh, What art in person are to me is the Holy Spirit, and they're the Holy Spirit showing up. You know, it's like, of course, Miracles uh, says about the Holy Spirit. His is the voice for God and is therefore taken form. This form is not his reality. You know, so what Art and Purser are to me nowadays, and it took me a while to learn this, but they're the Holy Spirit showing up in a form. They're showing up in a way that I can accept and understand what the Holy Spirit has to say to me. So, you know, now I've come to understand that that's what they really are. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, one of uh, one of the Encore's members recently had emailed me a question about when we ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. You know, what's the deal with that? Because the Course also teaches us that the Holy Spirit, you know, technically does nothing in the world. So how does that work? How does that come together? So my answer was kind of what you were just alluding to here. The Holy Spirit works through the symbols of this world. The Holy Spirit doesn't do anything directly, but the Holy Spirit may inspire or guide you or someone else to do a certain thing. You know, the one lesson in the Course where it has that almost like a little prayer in there. It says, where would you have me go? What would you have me say? And to whom? You know, so we are the vehicle of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, you know, other forms of, of symbolic representation can manifest. And that's really what Art and Persa are involved in. They're sort of the engine of that. So it is the message of the Holy Spirit coming through in a form that you can personally relate to because they appear as personal human beings. Is is that kind of what we're, what we're saying here? Uh, absolutely. And uh, I just wanted to mention something, Gene, because uh, we were chatting for a couple of minutes. Uh, before we we went on here, and I realized that this is our forty second podcast. Forty two, yeah. And I'm that's amazing to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just kind of blown away by the fact that we've done so many of these, and we just do them because we love to do them. It's like we don't charge any money or anything for this, and uh, we just do it because of the love that we have to share a course of miracles with people. Yeah. So I guess I just wanted to salute you for uh. that for the fact that you've taken all of your time and, and all of your energy, because, you know, all I have to do is talk, you know, but you, you're the one who produces this whole thing, and you're the one who goes through all the technical stuff to do this. So I just wanted to kind of salute you for taking your time and your energy to do this. Well, thank you, buddy. That means a lot. Thank you very much. You know, it's, it's a total pleasure. The, you know, the work, it would be nice if I had a staff of underlings to do a lot of the technical stuff that, that often is what takes so long, I, you know, but, you know, it, it needs to be done. It's the vehicle that, that lets the message get out. But, uh, you know, doing it and being associated with it is great. As you always tell me, you, you travel far more than I do. I, I don't travel all that much anymore. But uh, not that I ever did, but, you know, certainly not now. But you do constantly. And you say how people really all over the world say that, you know, they love the podcast. They they, they listen to them. They like the kind of inner look into your life and, and with mine as well. And, you know, our personal comments, as well as our course based discussion that we always have and our questions for Gary that we'll have a few of today. But, uh, yeah, it's it's really a great thing. It's a great project. And, uh, you know, I'm really I'm so glad it's been a, received so well by everybody. It's been a number of years. I guess it's over Four years we've been doing these shows now, so that's that's really it is quite an accomplishment. I'll pat myself a little bit on the back, but you too, you know, because you're you're it's the Gary Renard podcast. You're the reason that people want to listen in, and uh, you know it, it's great. I, I think that uh, you know I think you and I have always had this nice rapport and dialogue, both as friends, but in our course based discussions that we often have just together, but we certainly have at at events or things that we've done together, and the podcasts are a perfect example. And I think people like that and can relate to it. It's not some preachy material from on high somewhere. It's real 
it, people, guys talking about this stuff, guys or girls, it wouldn't matter, but it's real people applying the Course's message, not only to our spiritual growth, but, but to our lives. You know, how do, how do you apply forgiveness when things go bad in your life? And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things like that where the Course, as it says, is always meant to be practical. So it's not just leading us beyond you know the the earthly existence it's it's helping us while we're in it as well and when we apply these principles so if the podcast are a small part of that or getting other people to be as enthusiastic about a course in miracles as you and i then you know we're we're doing a good thing and and i'm really happy to be part of it well you are a big part of it gene and uh when i look back on things you know everything is for a reason and 18 years ago, when Arda and Percy first started to appearing to me and started to speak to me, uh, all that I've ever wanted to do since then is share A Course in Miracles with people. And, uh, you know, it is really a part of what we're doing right now because when we do a podcast, it goes all over the world. I, I go to places like Japan or or South America, North America, Africa, Europe, wherever. It's like I go all over the world, and people will say to me, wow, I, I just heard you podcast with Gene. Mm-hmm. And you don't understand the impact that you're having. It, it's like uh, everywhere I go, this is available. So it really is something that is making a difference in sharing A Course in Miracles with the world, which is the most important thing that I've always wanted to do in my life. It's like, this is my life, you know, A Course in Miracles. And to be able to share it the way that we're sharing it, it just means so much to me. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you know that. Well, that's great. I, I so much appreciate hearing that. You know, and I feel the same way. We've always talked, uh, we'll just briefly hear that, you know, you and I have similar paths in life, even before we knew each other. Some people have asked, were we musicians together, like known each other from that long ago? But we didn't. We, we met not that far back in our lives. It's been a while. But uh, we had both been, as we've talked about, lengthily uh both been professional musicians and players and you know it's funny how we went from that into doing other things and you and i both encountered a course in miracles at about the same points in our lives and uh you know we just talked about your birthday here i say now it's uh we're almost the same age so it, you you turn the number just a few months before i do so <laughs> then now you're older than me again until my next birthday then we're the same age but you know we uh we both encountered this and it, it's funny how it has developed into this, you know, all-consuming path. It's it's really what our lives are completely focused around. Um, and I and I think that when it, when you have that level of enthusiasm, that might be literally, as you've said, inspiration. Literally means the spirit within you. It's in spirit. And I think that that kind of gets into you, and you go, "This is it. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to share and talk about and present and facilitate and make the way easier for others and and you know smooth the path." So uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a great thing. And uh, for all the trouble that technology can give us. There are certain advantages that are just inescapable, and the ability to do a show like this and, and, and nowadays have it travel all around the world, which was science fiction 10 or 15 years ago, and here we have that, and, and, and it's great to have that kind of a thing that can link so many people together. So that's one of the things we should be thankful for, for technology, that it, it enables us to do this stuff. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of music, Cindy and I just happened to release our first music CD. Yeah. Some great stuff. I I haven't yet heard the whole thing. I still have to have the time to sit down and listen to it all. But what I've heard sounds great. You did this in the professional studio. You guys sing great. You have a wonderful harmony together. Uh, I've heard your original songs, you and Cindy, both of which are great stuff. And then you do other songs that people will definitely be familiar with. Uh, Yeah, real real quickly again, what's the the name of that and how do people connect with uh, that CD? Uh, yeah, the name of the CD is Near the Beginning, and we got that from the Gospel of Thomas, which you can see on the back of the CD. But uh, it's like, you know, we just really uh, wanted to do something together, because I did not intend to get back into music. Right. It's not something that I was really looking uh, to do. But Cindy, you know, she'd be sitting here at the piano, 
and she'd uh, write her songs. You know, I hear her writing songs and stuff, and that kind of like got the bug in my ear. It was like, wow, you know, that that reminds me of music and how much I love doing music. So after 20 years of playing and 20 years of not playing, I got back into music because of Cindy. And uh, as a result of that, we've been doing music at our uh, workshops and stuff, and, you know, it's fun. And I just told Cindy, I said, promise me one thing. We're not going to overdo it. Because when I was a professional musician, I was playing like six nights a week, you know, twice a day on weekends. I really overdid it. And this time, I'm not doing that. I'm doing it for fun because that, to me, is what music should be. Mm -hmm. Music should be fun. You know, so that's what I'm doing. And uh, so far, it's working out very well. And it's nice at your events, you guys pick some, you know, appropriate songs. I know the one, one of the times I heard you, you did uh, Simon and Garfunkel's famous The Sounds of Silence. And it's really pretty. And again, that nice harmony blend that you have with your two voices and all. And, it, you know, it's just a nice kind of, you know, thoughtful type song to be playing. And everybody got into a very nice, mellow, receptive mood. And, you know, that's great to do. And as you say, you, you know, you're not up there doing a, a full concert. It's a couple of songs here and there. But they're really nice and they're very appropriate to what you're presenting overall. So, yeah, that's it's a great combination. Yeah, it's working out well. Like we just did... Uh this great Course Miracles conference in uh, San Francisco. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I haven't really spoken to you since then, and uh, I know that was just last month, and uh, yeah, you, you had been talking about that when it was coming up. So tell us all a bit about how that went. That was the big, what is it, every is it every year or every other year they do that? And it, it was the one held in San Francisco. Yeah, it's every two years, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been held in San Francisco the last three times, uh, before that, there was one in uh, Salt Lake City. The next one is actually going to be in Chicago uh-huh. uh, in two years. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, it's like Cindy and I, as you said, we just threw in a couple of songs in the middle of my presentation. I spoke for an hour and a half, and we just threw in two songs at the beginning, except Cindy also did an a cappella uh, version of Amazing Grace ah, at the beginning of no. my talk. And uh, she's wonderful. I mean, you know, if, if people haven't heard her yet, she did a couple of CDs before this one that right. we did together. And uh, she is, like, excellent. She writes all of her own songs. And on our CD, we decided, okay, I'll write one song, you'll write one song, and then we'll do our favorite songs uh, for the rest of it. So that's the way to that worked out. But it's like, wow, she's just terrific. And uh, the, the conference in San Francisco was very good. Uh, I'm, you know, kind of a purist when it comes to the course. Right. So I can't say that I would agree with everything that was being said there. I certainly couldn't agree with the fact that the original of Course in Miracles, the Blue Book, was not being sold there. Oh, I no kidding. Rather, you know, I thought that was rather absurd. But uh, at the same time, I think in general, it was a good conference. Uh-huh. And uh, because most of the people there, and uh, I don't want to brag or anything, but I think that the discourse of the universe has made a big difference in the Course of Miracles community. And, you know, not because of me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the major force behind my books. You know, certainly Art and Persa are the major forces. Uh, behind my books, but I think that they have made a difference in how people understand A Course in Miracles. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are are people there who may not say exactly the same thing, but I think that people recognize the difference. And, you know, Marion Williamson was there, and and all all these people were there, but I think that, in a way, and this is really an interesting phenomenon, in a way, the students understand the course better than most of the teachers. Hmm. And and that's a new thing. That That is kind of like a new happening that yeah. is going on. And I'm not putting down the teachers. I'm just saying that I think that sometimes the students are ahead of the teachers. No, you know, it's obviously true. We both see it so often that people, and I don't know how different this is, but I can just say that, that for for the now, 
Yeah, you're exactly right. That people who are not writers or presenters or you know in any uh, way. I'm just I'm I'm just saying goodbye to Cindy. Oh, okay. Well, I'll go goodbye ahead with my Cindy. with my statement here. <laughs> Cindy says, "Love to everyone." We love you, Cindy. Jane says, "We love you, Cindy." I thought she'd want to stick around longer since all the nice things we said about her singing. Well, really, but uh, no, she she had to leave. And it, okay. It's actually pouring rain out here. Oh, I thought it never rains in Southern California. That's just like the song. It never rains. It pours. Okay. All right. But what, you know what we were saying before is that yes, some people who are not uh, presenters or writers or you know authorities or you know whatever phrase you want to use in terms of the course, but you know they're they're so knowledgeable because they've really been working it deeply and practicing. And I think that's the thing is the application of it. When you know it's one thing just to study it intellectually, but as the course says, it's the experience that you'll get from this, from doing it, that will actually transform you. And I think we're seeing more and more people who are transformed in that way and and as you say really understand this stuff at a very deep level absolutely and our buddy mikey mikey was there right and you know he's almost a perfect example of a guy who who did you know started out as really he was a student of, of disappearance of the universe more than the course itself but in the process uh, you know he's written his own book we can give mikey a plug here uh, a, a terrific book called dude where's my jesus fish uh, that's <laughs> and it's funny, you know, he picked that intentionally to be a funny line. And he's a funny guy, but he really gets the material, you know. He really does understand it and presents it very well. And in his book, he, he presents a series of different quotes from Arten and Persa from your books. So it's very tied together with DU. Then he was there with you, right? Not as a presenter, but just as one of the participants. Oh, yeah. In fact, I wrote the foreword for that book. Oh, yeah. Uh and you, you know Mikey's Mikey's reaction when you wrote the foreword. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, Mikey's favorite sound effect. Okay. <laughs> well, we love Mikey. He's oh yeah, a great guy. And it's a good book. It's really an interesting read. It's an excellent read. Uh, I highly recommend that book. And uh, you know, it's like we went to a dance Saturday night. You know, after, you know, we do the whole thing like yeah. you know. Is like a Friday night thing, and then all day Saturday, and I spoke on Saturday, and Marianne spoke on Saturday, and then <clears throat> there's a Sunday morning church service, and, but on Saturday night there's a dance, mm -hmm. and Mikey's there, and uh, all everybody was there. Tony was, you know, Tony Ponticello, head of the CMC, who's, who runs the conference, and and Mikey and John Mundy and me and Cindy and all these people <laughs> all just dancing together. And it's like, wow, you know, it was like really joining. It was mm -hmm. really fun to have this going on. And and Tony had his, uh, you know, download that he's playing over the microphone with all these cool songs. Ah. And it was just so much fun. It, <laughs> it really was. And then he, we show up on Sunday morning and we're, you know, maybe a little hungover. <laughs> and it's like, it was great. It was really something. And, you know, and I don't pretend to be overly spiritual. You know, it's like, uh, I don't mind being human. You know, so it's like, people will say to me, well, Gary, you know, uh, you can't behave normally. You have to be spiritual. And I say, no, <laughs> you don't have to be spiritual. This is about the level of cause, not the level of effect. People think that it's all about the effect. They think it's all about, oh, what it looks like, or how you behave, or, or something like that. That's not spirituality. Spirituality is done at the level of the mind, and that's where you accomplish something. If you think it's about the level of the effect, then you're going to be stuck here forever. Yeah. What this is about is about transforming the effect by looking at it differently. And that's what the Course in Miracles is all about. Yeah, you can't take the effect and attempt to change it because you're trying to make the change where the change cannot occur. You've got to change the cause in order to change the effect. And as you said, the cause is at the level of mind. Absolutely. That's why the Course in Miracles says this is the Course in Cause and not Effect. Mm-hmm. It says, seek not to change the world, seek rather to change your mind 
about the world. So it's always about the way that you're looking at it. You look at that part of the Course uh, where Jesus is talking about the message of the crucifixion, and you look at that carefully, you know, and I would recommend to anybody that they reread that. Look at it carefully. It's nothing about what they're doing to him. It's nothing about them crucifying him. It's nothing about them driving those nails through his wrist or anything like that. It's all about the way that he's looking at it. He's actually saying, you know, if you regard yourself you know, as a body, you're regarding yourself insanely. And when I read that, I thought, oh, my God, how can I go up to that level? And it's, it's hard, but it is doable. But then, on top of that, he says, you are not asked to be crucified. You are simply asked to follow my example in the face of much less extreme temptations to misperceive and not to regard them as false justifications for anger. Mm-hmm. Well, now, I'm being put in a position, and this is kind of like a challenge from Jesus. He's actually saying to you, look, you don't have to go through what I went through. All that you have to do is look at it differently. That's what you're being asked to do. Yeah, maybe you're going to be uh, you know, challenged because you get fired from your job or because you don't have enough money to pay your bills. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, and I live in a very expensive place here, you know, California. You know, people think, oh, you, you have more than enough money. Well, you never have enough money. Mm. And it's like, uh, you know, people are always challenged by these everyday things that go on in their lives. And what Jesus is saying to us in the Course is that's your forgiveness opportunity. That's what you're being asked by the Holy Spirit to forgive. And if you can do that, then you're doing your job. You're doing A Course in Miracles. You're actually you know, taking your part in the Atonement. You're taking your part in the Great Awakening. If you can just forgive whatever is in front of your face, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is asking of you. Yeah. And if you can do it, fine. And if you can't do it, that's not a sin either. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You'll do it later. But, yeah, yeah. And trials with lessons presented once again. So it, it's like... Uh, there's also, I was going to say, there's also that aspect of where we, we should get to a point where we actually welcome forgiveness opportunities. When, when something hits the fan in a big way, we should, part of us should, should welcome that and say, good, here's a chance for me to let this go now. Here's a chance for me to forgive this right here and now. I don't have to put this lesson off and learn it later. I have it right in front of me at the moment. If our job is to peel back the layers, to peel all of that, all those layers of grievances away and forgive them, we should welcome the opportunity when they come up because it gives us the chance to do it right here and now. And if, if everything was going smoothly, quite honestly, we wouldn't have that opportunity. It would still be just waiting for us, uh, you know, at some future unsuspecting time, you know, because the ego never gives up. Well, it, ultimately it does, but as long as it has anything left to fight with, it won't give up. So it's going to keep doing it until we've peeled back everything when we have forgiven it all. And the only way to do that is to have more things to forgive. So in that, not, I'm not saying we should seek out problems, but when they occur, welcome them. Welcome them as that opportunity to, to truly forgive them. Boy, that is so true, you know. And, you know, what it is that we're supposed to forgive it's never a mystery. It's always right there in front of our face. Yeah. It's always like right there. It's like I just did jury duty for Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, you haven't told me about that, but I knew you were you were involved with that. How did that go? That's gonna be a story. Well, you know, it absolutely sucked. It really <laughs> did. It's it's like I I absolutely hated it. I, I can't think of too many experiences that I've had in the last twenty years that sucked that much. Oh, boy. Really. You, it was like uh, depressing. <laughs> it was like the atmosphere was depressing. Yeah. And I was called in there to do jury duty. Now, I went in there, and I brought a Bible with me. <laughs> well, that was probably, you should have brought the course with you. I think we might have said something about that at one time in the past, where wouldn't that be the ultimate excuse to be excused from jury duty? You show up and say, well, I follow A Course in Miracles. I believe that no one is guilty of anything. 
and that we're not actually really here. Okay, Your Honor, we can let this one go. You know, you would think. I don't know. How did that play out? <laughs> what you brought a Bible with you? <laughs> I brought I brought a Bible with me for a specific reason. W- was because I wanted to quote the same things that Jesus said in the Bible that he says in the Course of Miracles. Ah, okay. You know, so it's like the judge asked me, "Why do you have a Bible with you?" And I said, "Well, because I can't vote." guilty. It, it's not possible for me to vote guilty, because, you know, this is a situation where I have certain beliefs, and I can't see someone as being guilty. And the first judge got very angry at me the first day, right. and he, he was kind of yelling at me. And he said, you're not asked to judge anybody. I'm the judge here. Uh. And he was like, it was like total ego, and and that's okay. But, and now we have a law in California where if you get excused by the judge, and this judge dismissed me. He was like, you know, you're out of here. Yeah. But you have to come back a second day. Oh. Get get dismissed by another judge. So I came back the second day, and this judge, he didn't want to let anybody go. He wanted everybody to stay there, and he wasn't about to excuse anyone. And it took two days for me to get excused by the second judge. Wow. But finally... When I said to him, you know, there's no way I'm going to vote guilty, he finally had to let me go. So it took three days, but I I actually got excused after the third day. (sighs) And it was like, I can't compromise. I I said to them, I said, I can't compromise on this idea because I can't possibly vote guilty. And it took three days for them to get that. But uh, that's the way that it was. But I must say that the atmosphere was really depressing, and it gave me a forgiveness opportunity. And the forgiveness opportunity was, you know, yeah, I'm I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this a certain way, but maybe I should change the way that I'm looking at this. Maybe I should understand that what I'm seeing is not true. I should look beyond the veil, beyond the body, and I should think of everyone as being the perfect Christ that they are. Yeah. And when I when I thought about it that way, it did change the way that I felt. Well, that would always be the the resolution, right, to anything like that, is, is to really, <clears throat> excuse me, to really get to that point where you do see the other person, whoever they are, as, again, as you would see Jesus, as the perfect representation of the Christ, the 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 non-guilty, as you said, of anything, but he, even the judge in this case, you see him as being not guilty of anything. He just is this this perfect shining spirit. You dismiss the ego's version of what it would have you see in him. Yes, absolutely. Ah. Yeah, and, and you know, it always comes back to the same thing, Gene. It, it's like we're being tempted to think that we are bodies, whether it's Japan whatever is going on, yeah. like we are being tempted to think that we are bodies, and we're not bodies. Yeah. I, wa- I wanted to ask we- you about that, because that has just been happening here just prior to our recording of this podcast, just, a, I guess, a week earlier, and it's still going on. Uh, and I'm sure that people will be talking about this, the tsunami and earthquake and all that has followed in Japan uh, for quite some time. So it doesn't matter what our friends Zontar and the other friends in the future who who listen to these podcasts, because they get heard at all times. I, a, a lot of people hear them very quickly after they're released. So it'll still be fresh for people. Yeah, a lot of questions lately how do we process this how do we deal with something this this is really a tragedy on a human level that is really something i don't think any of us have seen in our lifetime so yeah what are your thoughts and how do we apply the course's principles to this well i think that we have to remember you know the course's definition of temptation you know and we've said this before on this podcast but really apply this to japan You know, temptation has one lesson it would teach in all its forms, wherever it occurs. It would persuade the Holy Son of God he is a body, born in what must die, unable to escape its frailty, and bound by what it orders him to feel. So this whole thing, and I don't want to sound heartless, because let me, you know, explain this to the limit. Yeah. Uh, what happens is that if you don't see people as bodies, if you see them as what they really are, 
then you can look beyond the veil, and then you can actually help them more yeah. than you could have if you were looking at them as being bodies and as being victims. It's like, of course, Michael says, I'm not a victim of the world I see. Right. Well, you're not, you're not a victim of the world you see. And if you can look beyond the body, beyond the veil, and think of people as being what they really are, which is Christ, which is perfect spirit, then you're going to be in a better position to help them, not a worse position. Yeah. You're going to be more effective in the way that you help them because you're going to be able to think more clearly. When have you been the most effective in your life? When you were upset or when you were thinking clearly and peacefully? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it's, it's because you know, you're thinking peacefully that you can be more effective in helping the world. So this isn't about ignoring the world or turning your back on the world. This is about actually being more effective in the world. And, you know, interestingly, as you just said there, it's not a matter of, of being heartless or anything. I mean, you know, you, you watch these stories and you're just filled with sympathy and empathy. I mean, you just the compassion that you have to feel for what these people are going through. Uh, there was a video I just saw recently about the two dogs. It, it's been all over the Internet. Uh, uh, one appeared to be injured and the other wouldn't leave. Apparently they were companion dogs. They, they were in the same family and the, the humans were, were nowhere to be found. I saw that. I saw, I saw it, that video. It, yeah. I just heard an update just saying that they had been rescued by a by an animal, you know, welfare control group or whatever. So apparently they'll be okay. But they said, you know, for those two, there's thousands of other animals that that are are, are in this as well. So we're not at all. The course is never saying to be heartless or unfeeling about that. But as as we've talked about on this show many times, it's doing both. We're in the world, but not of it. So we, we continue to focus on the perfection and the lack of suffering as, as even a possibility in reality. But at the same time, we know that, that the people involved in this, and, and if it was ourselves, if, if I was caught up in a hurricane and, and everything flooded or, you know, it's horrible. It's a horrible experience. So yes, you process it, but at the same time, you bring comfort. You and I have often used the uh, analogy, if you saw a little child, on the side of the road about to walk out into traffic, you wouldn't stand aside and say, well, I know that, that the child's body is not real and the child's not really here. And so I'm just, you know, I'll let the Holy Spirit do his thing. No, you, you step in. You, of course you do. And you, and you pull the child to safety. You know, you always bring peace. You always bring comfort wherever you can. It's just a good thing to do. At the same time, in your mind, because as you said earlier, it's our mind that is establishing the cause and in your mind, you were saying to the child, you're not this body. You are the perfect creation of God. You know, there's really no need ultimately for me to be doing this. But while we seem to be here, then we'll seem to take this action to make things better. You know, so, you know, that you can do both simultaneously. And that's really what the Course asks us to do. And, uh, you know, that something like Japan, just because of the scale of it, uh, that's a, a great, as we said before, it's a great opportunity to put this thought system into practice, because it, it pushes our buttons in a, in a huge way. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, you talk about temptation. I mean, that tsunami, the videos of that tsunami oh. were beyond anything that I've ever seen. Oh. <laughs> it, it was like a movie. I mean, you think it was made. You have to keep reminding yourself that was real as far as the world sees real. That was the real thing. It, it's just incomprehensible. Absolutely. And it's like, my God. But when I say that forgiveness allows you to think more clearly, uh, maybe there are people, you know, like we'll do the normal thing, like Cindy and I, we've donated money to Japan, you know, to yeah. rescue efforts and everything. And yeah, you do the normal thing. But maybe, in a way, you could be inspired to do something even beyond that, you know, to where you might come up with a brilliant idea yeah. that seems to come from out of nowhere, and all of a sudden you're sitting around and you're not doing anything special, and this idea comes into your mind that tells you how to help. That's an inspired idea. You you mentioned inspiration. Right. Well, you know, that's, that's the whole purpose of it, and, and it's like, uh, yeah, you can be inspired. Yeah, as, as and I think it was it was from your quote on one of the earlier shows where you said it literally means in spirit or the spirit within. It's the spirit comes 
within you and 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 uh, and reflects itself outward, and you become the vehicle for that expression. And uh, yeah, who knows what somebody might come up with them? Because uh, you know, a lot of a lot of help's going to be necessary there, uh, financial help as well as just support. You know, just it it never stops. You you see these people who remember they're washed away or or impacted by water coming in in the tsunami. And then I I saw other people who were you know doing some videotaping and it's snowing. You forget it's still very cold in northern Japan. It's like good lord, this is psycho planet. You know, it just it never stops hammering at you. You know, so boy, this is a this is a forgiveness opportunity, literally on a global scale here for us all to observe. And uh, you know, boy, what a thing! The, the ego never sleeps, huh? No, it doesn't. Uh, I was in a situation once in uh, in Maine, which isn't exactly the warmest place in America, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we had an ice storm, and we lost power for twenty three days uh, in the winter. Oh boy. And every telephone pole in the state had to be replaced. Oh, man. Every single one of them. And it was crazy. And what struck me the most about that situation wasn't how bad it was. What struck me the most about that situation was the way that the people pulled together. Yeah. And and how they really helped each other and really, you know, kind of like came together and made it work somehow. Yeah. And and that's exactly what's going to happen in Japan. People think, oh, Japan will never. I've actually heard on, you know, CNN and stuff, people saying that, uh, oh, Japan will never recover from this. Hmm. That's not true. I don't think so. Yeah, they they will recover from this. They recovered from World War Two. How can they not recover from this? Yeah, you know. So it's like, what's going to really make the difference? is people pulling together, working together, and making it work somehow. And that always seems to be the case. It's really true, and we were thinking, too, I, was, I, was, I admired so much uh, reports that were saying even though uh, – people were going like without food because there was no way you remember the roads were destroyed so there was no way to even if you if you could get stuff there was no way to get the stuff to the people who needed it so the food and water and all types of supplies the the few stores that had stuff left were like you know lined up with people waiting but they said there was no looting None at all. Like nobody was breaking into a store to try to steal milk or something or food or bread, you know. And it was just incredible because they just don't do that there. They have like this real sense of, of honor that's not the right thing to do. We'll wait for the store to open and then we'll come in and buy it. So, and as you said, everybody helping each other. And I, I just mentioned this to someone recently and I was thinking, if you remember the, the movie Starman with Jeff Bridges, remember that from, from a number of years ago? Oh, yeah. yeah. Really good movie, good science fiction movie. And essentially, he's a, an, an alien in human form. And near the end of the film, he's talking to the Karen Allen character, the, the, the woman. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, what I've discovered about you humans is when things are at their worst, you are at your best. And it, it really is true. And we see it over and over that it's when tragedy happens. That's when people, you know, we, we put down our petty angers and hatreds. And, you know, maybe it's a bit of that inspiring that you talked about. And, and maybe even the, the hardest heart among us is softened by things like this. And people become more helpful. And at least that's a good thing that can come out of something like this. Well, that is a great quote. Uh, when things are at their worst, yeah. you are at your best. That is a, a brilliant quotation. It's always been one of my favorite great scene, and, and it's really kind of one of those spiritual truths that show up in movies every now and then. And, and it, it is true, and uh, we, we certainly saw it here. You know, people just trying to be helpful, going out of their way. Uh, they, they were saying there were plenty of examples of people who were frantically searching for lost loved ones, and then someone else would come along, and, and they would suddenly, you know, they would dry their own tears and say, what can we do to help you find your law? You know, it was like you put your own personal needs aside when, when you can help someone else, even strangers, you know. So that is when, when we humans are at our best. And I think that's when our real nature, our real nature of of helpfulness literally comes through. And, uh, you know, so it's unfortunate that we often have to wait for a tragedy to have that occur. But it's good that it does occur. So that's that's important. Uh, definitely. I just want to mention something about Japan because I've been there. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, I love their culture. Uh, their culture is uh, something different. You know, 
there's such a thing as going to a different country. There's also such a thing as going to a different world. <laughs> yeah. uh, going to Japan is like going to a different world. And it's like they're very uh, kind, the way that they bow down to each other, the way that, oh, you know, you can't pour your own drink. They, they have to pour it for you. Mm. Uh, the way that a taxi driver opens the door for you, mm. you know, you can't do it yourself. <laughs> it's like they're really heavy into service, you know, and uh, it's a different culture. And I love it very much. They're very Buddhist. Uh, mm. You would say that uh, the country is very Buddhist, but it's also very Shinto. Like I, I went uh, on the bullet train from Japan to Kyoto, and you get to Kyoto, and all of a sudden you have all these shrines. Now, uh, the temples are Buddhist, but the shrines are Shinto, and people don't realize that the Shinto religion goes back uh, 5,000 years. Wow. About, you know, 3,500 years before Buddhism. Mm -hmm. So it's like, wow, you know, and you start to get... A, a picture of the fact that you are now in a different world than you were before. Yeah. And uh, and I love it because, and this is one of the things I like about Hawaii, too, because people don't realize that there are more Buddhists in Hawaii than there are Christians. Ah. And uh, because, you know, the Japanese, you know, we think that we won the war. Actually, the Japanese won the war and they took over Hawaii. <laughs> and, and it's like, uh, you know, the Hawaii is mostly Buddhist, and yeah, you have a lot of Shintoism there, too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, wow, you know, it's like, this is a different atmosphere. Yeah. And when you when you talked about the fact, Gene, that, uh, you know, people weren't looting, and they weren't uh, doing things like that, that would be contrary to Japanese culture, yeah. for people to be, you know, trying to steal things or... or you know, make a big deal out of things, you know, and, and just help themselves instead of helping everybody else. Right. Uh, that was perfect because it's like people in Japan, they just wouldn't do that. Yeah. And they wouldn't do that because of the way that they believe. And I think that maybe we could learn something from that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's like that the the whole idea of of taking advantage of a tragic situation to somehow get something for yourself is like you know, it, it would just be a such a, a point of dishonor. They would they would feel they were dishonoring themselves in doing that, which, you know, you and I would feel. I mean that's again a very, I think, in a way, a coarse perspective that, you know, we're always thinking what will bring the greatest peace to those around me and stealing their stuff is never the answer to that. So you just wouldn't think of it, you know, it would go against everything that you truly believe. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I brought Cindy to Hawaii and, and, you know, I had been there a few times before, but there was this guy, uh, in front of us and we went to check into the hotel and he was complaining about the fact that, you know, his laundry wasn't done the way that it should have been done. <laughs> you know, and he was a Japanese guy, and his laundry wasn't done the way it should have been done. And then he explained the whole situation to this guy, and and, and uh, the, the person behind the desk said, okay, I understand. Then he turned around to leave, and he looked at Cindy and I, and he apologized. Oh. He, said, he said, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that I, you know, took up so much of your time. And I was amazed because on the mainland, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. On the mainland, the guy would just walk by you and say, you know, almost, you know, screw you. Yeah, get out of my way. Yeah. Yeah. But in Hawaii, because this guy is a Buddhist, it was like, you know, I apologize for taking up so much of your time. Yeah. And imagine what the world would be like if we all had that kind of an attitude of respect for other people. Yeah. Knowing that, as you, as the Course says, as you see him, you will see yourself. Right. You know, and even Buddhism doesn't go that far, I don't think. But, and maybe it does for some people, but at the same time, it's like, wow, imagine treating everybody that way, knowing that as you see him, you will see yourself. And that's always been at least 
allegedly one of the teachings of, of Christianity in, in, in Christian religions is to always, you know, see your brother as yourself and to extend kindness. The golden rule, you know, as it's always being presented. And yet all of us in Western culture so seldom follow that. And, you know, I don't know why that is that, that in the Buddhist culture, the teachings are people actually live it. They actually do what it says, where so often we don't, you know. So that that's an interesting parallel. I agree with you completely. It, we'd all be far better off if we did. Yeah. <clears throat> Boy, you ain't kidding. So, buddy, I think we're getting towards the end of our... Uh, well, we want to do a couple uh, questions. We'll squeeze in a couple questions for Gary before we do that, if that's okay. Is that good with you? No, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's like my. You know, have you been a good boy, Gary or not? No. Okay. Uh, because this I'm one. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Buddy. I know. I know. This one uh, fits right in because we actually had a couple of questions that actually deal sort of with spirituality. Uh, not that they all don't, but you, you know what I'm saying. It kind of really is focused on that. But this one was a real specific question about that uh, and about uh, some alternate forms of spirituality, in your opinion. So this comes from Byron, and it says, Gary, recently a friend gave me your immortal reality to read. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, like you, am not satisfied with organized religion as an answer for salvation. I've been searching the past 35 years for a true spiritual path. He says, for the past three years, I've been a student of Swami Sri Paramahansa. I find you both have essentially the same or at least similar message, forgiveness and inner peace with the same goal in mind, which is union with God. Now, you briefly, meaning you, Gary, briefly talk in the book about the ascended Babaji. Now, both Babaji and Paramahansa are devotees of Kriya Yoga and recommend that as an expedited path to true enlightenment. So my question is, this is from Byron, do you, Gary, acknowledge uh, you know, what these teachers are saying, or can you at least tell me, is their teaching consistent with A Course in Miracles? That's yours in peace and forgiveness from Byron. So that Byron, is that Byron Katie or what? You know, I'm not sure if it's, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, I think I said him, I'm assuming it's, it's a male, but it could be a female, because we do have Byron Katie as well. I don't believe it's her. But uh, to our Byron, what would your answer be here? Well, uh, first of all, I'm sure it, it wasn't uh, Baba G. It was Baba G. Wiz. Baba G. Wiz, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I have no idea what she's talking about, but uh, hey, do you want to repeat that? No, You're getting me again. But yeah, did you? I, I'm trying to recall if in your immortal reality, had you mentioned Baba G. in that? Uh, I don't remember, actually. Or maybe you've talked uh, about it. It might be from a speaking engagement. You might have mentioned it or something. I, I'm not overly familiar. I know I know the names, but I, I don't really know what is taught by Babaji or Paramahansa. So, but Kriya Yoga, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that either. So, uh, where are you on this scale? Well, I've heard of it. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, is that like Yogananda or something? I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I really don't know the answer uh, because I'm not familiar with the thought system. Mm -hmm. The thought system that I live in, though, is, is A Course in Miracles. Right. But I would say that she sounds very sincere. And uh, it's like uh, when I was in Virginia Beach once, this woman went on and on for like five minutes asking a question. And then at the end of the question, she said, I don't know, is there a question in there? <laughs> It's like, I'm not sure if there's a question in there. I mean, you just, you know, is there a simple question or not? Well, I guess the question, if you're, but if you're not directly familiar with both Babaji and Paramahansa or Kriya Yoga, then the question is moot because what was your, your acknowledgement of those teachers and, and is their teaching consistent with the Course? So neither you nor I would know that then because I don't know what they teach. I guess from just from the nature of, and again, I don't know if Byron is, is, a, is a guy or a girl, but either, either way, um, if the message is forgiveness and inner peace with the goal of union with God, then that certainly sounds like it's a, at least a pretty close course to A Course in Miracles. It's, it's a close path to that. Now, you know, as, as you and I have discussed, the Course is pretty specific about the things it teaches. But I think as a generality, it sounds like those would be similar paths. I mean, any, anyone who is, you know, teaching the message of forgiveness, inner peace, with our goal being union with God, you know, we're, we're moving along in very much the same direction, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah. The only thing I would add to that is that A Course in Miracles is very specific. It's like, it's saying that the fastest way to go home to God is to practice a certain form of forgiveness. Right. And that there are steps to that, and that you can eventually integrate it into a, a certain you know, form so that you can do it really quickly. So you talk about saving time. That's the message of the Course. Right. It's not saying that it's the only way. It's just saying that it's a way in which you can save a hell of a lot of time. And it's not the same as what other spiritual paths are saying. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with another spiritual path. I'm just saying that this is a specific way of quickening your way home. So that's the difference, and that's the only difference. All paths lead to God in the end. The Course itself says that. The Course doesn't claim to be the only way to go home. It's just saying that if you're interested, you know, it's like Jesus is saying to you personally, whispering in your ear, saying, this is what worked for me, and if you're interested, maybe you should check it out. Maybe you should do it. Yeah. Well, there you go. Second question. This one I think will be a little easier to answer. I hope it will, because I want to see what you're going to say to this. Uh, this comes from one of our listeners, Charlotte, who writes a question, says, Hi, Gary. I have a question regarding divine intervention. Is there any such thing as it? There are many stories of angels saving people from accidents and other phenomenal occurrences. Do these things really happen, or are these just things? Are they just part of the dream as well? Thanks and love from Charlotte. Wow, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think there is such a thing as divine intervention, except it's not what people think, uh-huh. because that divine intervention is coming from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit shows up as your memory of God. It's, it's like uh, it shows up in the world, and then we think that it's coming from a divine source that is beyond this world. Uh-huh. It's actually not. Uh, God does not interact with this world. Uh, God doesn't have anything to do with this world, and as I've said before here, you know, we should be glad, because mm. if he did, then he'd be just as crazy as we are. Right. And it would make so, it real. It would make it ultimately yeah. real if God knew it to be true, and, and thank God it's not. Right. So it's like, all of a sudden, we have things show up in the world as a form. That form is the Holy Spirit showing up. And we mentioned this earlier yeah. in, the, in the podcast. Right. It's like the, the Holy Spirit will show up in the world, just like the Course says. This is the voice for God, and it's therefore taken form. That form is going to show up yeah. in the world, and it may even work what appears to be miracles. But the miracle isn't in the world. The miracle takes place in the mind and then shows up in the world. So it's like, you know, Moses parting the Red Sea or something. We think that that's the miracle, that Moses parted the Red Sea. No, that's not the miracle. The miracle took place first in the mind, and then it shows up in the world. Uh-huh. And that's what we need to understand. So it's that's why this is a course and cause and not effect. Because the miracle takes place in the mind, and then, yes, something will appear to happen in the world. But that's not where it really happened. Where it really happened was first in the mind. Yeah. And so so when people, because, you know, there are so many people who have had, you know, angelic encounters or something. So it's not to deny their experience with that, but just that's not actually God reaching in and doing something. It's the Holy Spirit working through someone or through someone where this knowledge comes through in that form that they can then uh, react to and, and hopefully benefit from which may appear as as an angel visitation. What I was going to say, I've never had something like that, you know, with winged angel or Monica with the light going on over her head. God loves you so much. You know, I mean, <laughs> Helen does that, but she holds a flashlight over her head. Uh, but, you know, but I have had situations where, uh, you know, I've really needed a solution to something or a piece of information. And I've kind of, it's times when I have sort of turned it over to the Holy Spirit and said, oh, help me out here. I'd, I'd put this in your hands. And a couple of times I've had weirdly, someone will show up, a stranger, 
you know, who seems to just be there all of a sudden says, oh, you need it. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and there's the information you need. Or no, don't go that way. Go this way. OK, thanks. And then they're kind of gone. And it's not like a flash of light or anything. It just it was somebody who was there in the train station. And then they they moved on. But it seemed odd. You know, it didn't seem to fit with the rest of the flow. It was almost like they came out of nowhere and went back. So I'm, I always wonder, is that did and maybe it, maybe they were just a human being who literally walked over there and, and gave me just the thing or the information that I needed, or was it just in my mind, and now I have that information? So who knows? I mean, in a way, that's almost like an angel in human form. But as you say, it's always the mind that that produces this being the cause. And then the effect is secondary. If it happens in the world, then that's great. But that's not the that's not the real deal. The real deal is the the change of mind. That's the miracle. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, I mean, I've had experiences that were pretty out there. Which you may have noticed. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like uh, yeah, it's it's like it's the Holy Spirit, and once you understand it as being the Holy Spirit, it makes more sense because it seems rather complicated, but it's really not that complicated. Yeah, it, it's actually pretty simple when you think of it in terms of the Holy Spirit showing up to you in a certain way. So I hope that people will understand. That that's what happens. It, it's it's not that complicated. It's not that difficult. It's actually just the Holy Spirit, whether it's an angel or an archangel or, or the Virgin Mary or whatever showing up in your life. It's just the Holy Spirit showing up to you to communicate to you. And and if you understand that that's the Holy Spirit showing up to communicate to you, then you'll be more ready to listen. Because then you'll say, yeah, okay, yeah, talk to me. That's the Holy Spirit. As we discussed earlier in the program, at least according to Gary, there's still some availability for the cruise to the Greek islands coming up very quickly. So you may want to check on that if you're interested in being a last-minute member of the crew. Arg, mateys. Uh, feel free to check things out at Gary's own website. You know, the one he named himself. It's GaryRenard.com. And we'll find out uh, all about that, and we'll know soon. Listen, if you can't make it on the cruise, we totally understand. I didn't think I was either, but now I am. So the good news is Helen and I will be there, and we will plan on recording another podcast at sea, which we've done on our previous couple of cruises. So that always works out nice. Uh, hopefully, if all goes well, we'll have one from this cruise as we have in the past. So everybody will get to hear that right here on the Gary Renard Podcast. But once again, for information about Gary, the cruise, all of his appearances, and everything that's going on in the world of Gary Renard. Everything that you may not have heard here, and that's been a lot, but do check out Gary's website, GaryRenard.com. And for further information about other stuff that I'm doing, including some big news for everybody, I actually have a book coming out fairly soon along with a, a co-author who is a dear friend of mine, Charlotte McGinnis, who is not only a longtime instructor and presenter of A Course in Miracles, but Charlotte is also, for more than 30 years, a golf professional. In the world of golf, as a competitive player and as an instructor, Charlotte has been very active uh, here in Florida. Uh, actually, she's instructed all over the country, but she has homes in Florida and in uh, North Carolina. So in those, from those two bases, her golfing and Course in Miracles empires are, are launched and handled. So at any rate, we have come together on a project which we are calling whimsically A Golf Course in Miracles. And the book is complete. It's just getting into the publishing process now, so we'll know soon exactly when it will be released. It's very good. It's kind of a mixture of humor and inspiration and uh, motivation, and it's really more about the course than it is about golf, although you get some legitimate golf tips as well. It's not for golfers only by any means. We use golf as a metaphor for life, and uh, we show how the Course in Miracles teachings and principles can be well applied to all 
all circumstances and challenges that we run across, whether it's on the golf course or whatever we're doing in life. So I hope you'll check that out. You can find out more information about A Golf Course in Miracles at uh, my website, the one I run, where we present the Gary Renard podcasts. That is forgiveness.tv. And there's a place there you can sign up for the Forgiveness On Course newsletter, and that'll keep you posted on all sorts of developments, both about these podcasts, any other activities that Gary and I are doing, and the new book as well. So be sure to sign up for that mailing list. We'll look forward to keeping in touch with you via forgiveness.tv. The Gary Renard Podcast is presented by Enlighten Up Creations and released through Forgiveness.tv. All verbal content of our programs is copyright 2011, Gary Renard and Gene Bogart. All rights reserved, all grievances forgiven. I've already given you the contact information, so for this episode of the Gary Renard Podcast, let's just say we're looking forward to connecting with you on the next episode of the Gary Renard Podcast. And until then, this is Gene Bogart. So happy to be here with you and so appreciative for all of you guys. Your patience, I know it's been a while since our last show. We'll try to make the next one a little quicker. And as we said, we hope it'll be that infamous podcast at sea this time. For the first time, coming to you from the Mediterranean should be exciting. So we'll look forward to speaking to you then. And until then, let me leave you with the phrase that I think is a great idea to take with you throughout every day and wherever you may go. Believe me, I personally apply it all the time to great effect as I invite the Holy Spirit to give me a hand in dealing with the ego's universe. And you can't say this too often or too sincerely. And that phrase is, whatever the question, forgiveness is always the answer. I'll edit out our little silence there. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's all right. Okay, yeah, it's okay to have a little uh, silence once in a while. <laughs> cool, dude. Good show. Mm-hmm.